Well, welcome to those who are visiting uh, or who are back from college, perhaps, or, or visiting uh, McPherson from living elsewhere. Uh, it's good to have you all here today. <clears throat> first Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul summed up what happened on that first Easter. He said, for I delivered you. I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas or Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. Jesus died, he rose again, and he lives and reigns. And this is why we're here this morning, to celebrate that. But there are plenty of people who are not gathering together this morning because they really don't believe that. If Jesus had never died, if he'd never rose again about 2,000 years ago, then would it make any difference in our lives? What, what difference would it really make that some guy died 20 centuries ago, people ask? Others would take it a step further, and they would say, not only does it not make a difference in my life, but they would argue that the world would be better off if this resurrection story, this myth, were not propagated by all these religious people. They would contend that if it weren't for Christianity, then we wouldn't have known the Crusades, the Inquisition, the Salem witchcraft trials, and all these evil things that took place. They would contend, uh, they, they would agree with Friedrich Nietzsche, 19th century proponent of self-life, self-realization. He said, Christianity has been one great curse to humankind. And Christopher Hitchens, who just died a couple of years ago, he said, we keep on being told that religion, whatever its imperfections, at least instills morality. On every side, there is conclusive evidence that that the contrary is the case, and that faith causes people to be more mean, more selfish, and perhaps above all, more stupid. Additionally, he would claim that we would have far less discrimination, intolerance, and arrogance by those who claim that Jesus is the only way to God, only way to eternal life. If you believe in Jesus' resurrection, should have never been spread, should have just disappeared. That's why there are many great efforts today, even today, to minimize and cancel Christianity in the courtrooms and the educational systems within social media. Many countries make it illegal to preach the name Christ or to proclaim Christianity, and many wish that were true here in America today. Well, the question I have this morning is, would we be better off if the resurrection had never happened? Would we be better off as a country, and would we be better off as individuals? And so let's determine for ourselves by looking at evidence evidence of this resurrection and how it's impacted the world. I'm only going to look at a few different ways. 
Uh, but there are tons of ways, but I, I'm picking out just a few. For example, because we believe that Jesus rose again and that he lives and reigns, then we value others, everyone, men, women, children. When Jesus was alive, he championed especially those who were excluded like no other. The way he treated people was simply revolutionary, and it was controversial even. For example, children, when everyone was shooing children away, Jesus would teach, no, 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 let the little children come to me, uh, for such belongs the kingdom of God. And he had harsh words for those who disagreed. He said, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to, if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. In the ancient world, unwanted children were routinely left to die along the roadways and in the desert and then in the wilderness. They were unwanted. Many of them were little girls at that time. And then many others were sold into slavery, and nobody blinked an eye at it because it was routine. But the early Christians would literally rescue those who were abandoned and take them in. If they were along the roadsides, they'd scoop them up, they'd take them in from the fields, they would nurse them back to health and raise them in obedience to Jesus' teachings because they believed that Jesus rose again and he was alive. Since then, Christ's followers have opened the first orphanages, adoption agencies, they've spearheaded countless ministries on behalf of children, like the Young Men's Christian Association, What's that, YMCA and the YWCA? Operation Christmas Child, Compassion International, World Vision, McPherson Housing Coalition, pro-life clinics have been open to support mothers and their unborn babies because Jesus values children and he's alive to tell us so. And then Jesus' followers also valued women who had very little value during that time. Book of James says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Lauren Cunningham points out that the Greek philosopher Cicero, who lived 43 BC, not long before Christ, this was, this was what people thought of women. He likened women to slaves, dogs, horses, and donkeys, all possessions to be used and cast away. In many cultures today, women are second-class citizens, but in the West, they've enjoyed freedom, equal rights because of the Christian foundation of our country, and for that, we are grateful. The first witnesses entrusted by God to go and testify about the risen Lord, Jesus, were who? Women, which would have been unheard of during those days. Matthew 28, the angel said to the women, four women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here. He is risen just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, then go quickly tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead, and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Again, this was significant because in those days, women were not trusted to be witnesses in the court of law. They were not permitted to be. 
They were not qualified to be. But yeah, that's who God chose. And then slavery was an evil from our past, but slaves made up third, a third of the ancient populations uh, that employed slaves in, in those days. After Christ's resurrection, though, slaves might have wandered into a Christian fellowship only to have a slave owner wash their feet rather than beat them in obedience to Christ's command on the night of the Last Supper. Of course, Christians like William Wilberforce led efforts to, for the abolition of slavery, and many others followed suit. Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus rose because he values all people. And that's how Jesus has impacted our world through believers. Secondly, Jesus' resurrection has impacted the way we treat others in health, health care, through believers. Again, James 2, if anyone says to them, those who are in need, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but they do nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? The early church exploded in growth because, again, they rescued and cared for those who were abandoned, those who were sick, those who were left behind during outbreaks of viruses and plagues, and people would leave their loved ones for fear for their own lives and leave the sick ones behind. But Christians remained behind in these cities, and they cared for, for these people who were plagued, who were sick. They nursed them back to health. And because of this, the early church exploded because they believed that Jesus was alive and that he would protect them. The Council of Constantinople in 381 AD decreed that whenever a cathedral, wherever a cathedral existed, there must be a hospice to care for the sick and the poor. And this would eventually lead up to the startup of hospitals by these Christ followers. That's why today you can find hospitals all across the nation and the world with Christian names such as Via Christi, Christ, through Christ it means, or Christus Health, or Good Samaritan, or Good Shepherd, St. Francis, Mount Sinai Medical Center, Trinity Health Center, Baptist Hospital, Methodist Hospital, Wesley, St. Jude, New York Presbyterian, and our very own Swedish Covenant in Chicago. <laughs> All begun by Christ's followers. That's how we benefited, because Jesus rose. We have benefited in the area of science as well. Christians believe that the world is a product of an orderly and rational God, and it just didn't happen by accident. John 1, 3, through him, Jesus, through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Rodney Stark, in his book called For the Glory of God, rightly points out that modern science was born out of the Christian faith, not in opposition to it. It was the Christian civilization that proposed that the design in the universe points to the designer, 
And so I can think of many examples, but I'll spare you there. I'll just say that many of the first scientists that we all learned about in school, you guessed it, they were Christians. To name a few, I think they might be up there in the next slide, maybe. Yeah, to name a few right there. Francis Bacon, founder of Scientific Method, Rene Descartes, modern rationalization, Galileo, inventor of telescope, microscope, many things. Sir Isaac Newton, Nicholas Copernicus, uh, Johannes Kepler, Blaise Pascal, Michael Faraday, Gregor Mendel, Max Planck, Louis Pasteur, to name a few of the many, many, many others who are Christ's followers. And by the way, of the Nobel Peace Prize winners from 1900 to the 21st century, guess what? 65.4, you guessed it, were Christ followers. Another 20% were Jewish. I think, I think the Lord blesses his people. Call to me, God says, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Because Jesus is alive, we believe. And then belief in Jesus' resurrection impacted education for everyone. You see, the ancient world, they love education, but it was only reserved for the elite. The notion, though, that every child was born in God's image as well fueled a universal literacy program and learning. In Christ are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge for everyone. Love of learning led to monasteries, which became the cradle of academic guilds for the common person, which in turn would lead to schools and universities. And did you know, by the way, that the first 120 universities in America were started by Christ followers for the advancement of the Christian faith? In Kansas alone, we have several examples. Tabor, Bethel, Bethany, Kansas Wesleyan, Central Christian, McPherson College, Sterling, Friends, Mid-American Nazarene, Baker University, Ottawa, Heston, Southwestern, Manhattan Christian, to name a few, in Kansas, in our neighborhood. And they're all over the country and the world because people had the gall to believe that Jesus rose again. Believing that also influence the arts, the arts. No book has inspired so many places, has inspired so many pieces of art than the Bible. You can hear a lot of classical music compositions with biblical themes. You go into any art museum and you see depictions of, and sculptures of contained in, in God's Word, right? Everywhere, if you've been to museums. More hymns and songs have been written about Jesus than any other person in history. Because we believe the command, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. And J. Warner Wallace, in his book, Person of Interest, writes, of the 145 greatest popular musicians and artists of all time, according to Billboard magazine and Rolling Stone magazine and the IMDP, charts, or IMDB charts, how many of these 144 greatest artists had songs that contained uh, the theme of Jesus? 
of the 145? Well, you guessed it, all of them, every single one. Just to name a few, I won't give you all the titles, but Jesus is a rock in a weary land, Frank Sinatra. Reach out to Jesus. Have you heard of Elvis Presley? Uh, Mrs. Robinson by Simon and Garfunkel. The Beach Boys, he came down. Even Aerosmith, Street Jesus. Prince, a man called Jesus. Slayer, Jesus saves. Fire and rain, James Taylor. Jesus is just all right with me, the Doobie Brothers and the Birds. Walk on Water, Eminem, you and I, Lady Gaga. When There's Nothing Left, Katy Perry, Jesus, Queen. I want to sing that one next week, Connor, by Queen. The Last Resort, Eagles, God, John Lennon from the Beatles. Jesus told me to love you, Smokey Robinson. Jesus is calling Hank Williams, just to name a few. Isn't it interesting that all of these many non-Christian singers, songwriters, have songs about Jesus? But I wonder how many have songs about Buddha or Hare Krishna, or Joseph Smith, or Mahatma Gandhi in their songs. I would guess very few and very small percentage. Why Jesus? And why is it too that when people stub their toe, they use Jesus' name instead of Buddha? Oh, Buddha! You know, why don't we do that? I think it's because Buddha's dead and Jesus is alive and he's got an enemy. Uh, At the founding of our country, we've been impacted as America in many ways. The Mayflower Compact in 1620, written by the pilgrims, it says right there, having undertaken their exploration for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. And then the Puritans who began the Commonwealth of Connecticut, among others, produced the Fundamental Orders of Connecticut in 1639, stating that their colony existed for the liberty and the purity of the gospel of our Lord Jesus. It's a good thing they did, otherwise we wouldn't have our NCAA champions, UConn, today. George Washington, the father of the nation, said that we can never hope to be a happy nation unless we imitate the divine author of our blessed religion, Jesus Christ. Belief in Jesus impacted our nation in countless ways. The foundation, that is. And then most importantly, belief in Jesus' resurrection impacted our individual lives, our changed transformations. Uh, Believers change, they say they change, not by replication, trying to be like Jesus, trying to be good and trying to earn our right into heaven, into God's presence, because we can't. We fall short time and time again. We change not by replication, but by repentance. We turn away from our sin. We turn to God and we say, I need a Savior. I, I, I cannot stand before you, God, in, in my own state of sinfulness. I need you to forgive my sin. I need a Savior. And and then he says he redeems us when we acknowledge our need for us. We're redeemed, which means we're purchased by Jesus. And and a song that we'll conclude with is from Revelation 5, 9. It says this, you are worthy, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and every language and people and nation. You purchased us. By your shed blood, you redeemed us. We now belong to you. 
And because of that, we are reborn. Reborn. We're born again, as Jesus told Nicodemus. We're transformed, renewed, reformed. And we're changed from the inside out because of God's Spirit coming in to dwell within us when we invite Him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. Last night, I had a dream, and I inserted this picture into my sermon this morning. It was a dream of the beauty and the beast. I woke up thinking of the beauty and the beast for some reason. And I got thinking about that, and I thought, okay, that fits. Belle told the beast that she loved him right before the last petal of the rose fell off, when the beast was dying and probably was dead. But then when she said, I love you, then the spell was broken, and the beast was transformed into the prince. In other words, he was born again. He was reborn from a beast to a prince. You know, every stronghold was broken because the beast was loved and realized that. When we know that we are loved and when we reach out to Jesus, he says, I'm going to break your strongholds, all your mistakes, all your things that have wounded you and hurt you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to, I'm going to change you from the inside out. I'm going to renew you because you are born again spiritually. I remember the day I came to Christ. I, I used to be a high school kid who was pretty self-centered and egocentric and wanted to grasp for anything that would bring me pleasure and, and bring me success and, and uh, notoriety. I was a typical kid, but then when I met Christ, everything changed. M my, my passions changed. I, I went from a guy who had a dusty Bible who I didn't, which, which I didn't understand, to one who couldn't get enough of God's Word. I went from a guy serving my own needs, what would make me happy on the weekends or whatever, to one who joined ministries all over the place because I couldn't wait to share the love of Christ with others. And God began to use me, and it gave me purpose, and my life was completely changed. I've read Christianity in Africa has grown from about 9% at the beginning of the 20th century to now it's 45% of its people. And miss missiologists, those into missions, have estimated that China, China will have more Christians than any other nation by the year 2030. Why would ch these Chinese people who hate America, we think, why would they accept Christ other than Jesus is revealing himself, and they're coming face-to-face -face with the risen Christ, transforming them, and they're finding truth. God created the first humans with a great purpose and authority to reign over the earth forever. We're born again to live into that great purpose. Genesis 1, we're told, Jesus said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that we, they may rule over the fish in the sea. In verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. The first humans, Adam and Eve, were created. God delegated to them. You have this responsibility over the earth, over all the animals. Here you go. You have my authority. You have my, my power. You have my permission. I'm going to co-reign. You're going to co-reign with me. And they say, woo -hoo. But then we know the rest of the story. They sinned in the garden. They disobeyed God. 
And then they lost that authority. They forfeited their authority over to the deceiver, to Satan, who became the prince of the power, power of the air, uh, of the world here. But Jesus said, and plus they lost their intimate relationship with God. It was broken. And so, so God says, I've got a plan. I'm going to send, ultimately send my son who's going to live, he's going to die, he's going to rise again. He's going to die for the sins that Adam and Eve committed and everyone since him, so that through his death, the payment of his death, then these people could be forgiven. So on the cross, Jesus took our sin, and in exchange, he said, I'm going to give you my righteousness so that you can have a relationship once again with a living God, and I'm going to restore your purpose beyond that. And so this is what he did. And that purpose is found in uh, Revelation 5.10. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. What Adam and Eve were created to do, they had lost in the garden. But once we know Christ, then he once again delegates our purpose to co-reign with him on the earth. We think, okay, one day in the new heaven and the new earth. No, no, no. Right now. This is why we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven today. I want your will to be accomplished through me. And this is, this is how we extend the kingdom of God on earth, even today. Anytime we care for others, anytime we forgive others, anytime we seek reconciliation, any, anytime we, we offer a cup of cold water to a little child, we are extending the kingdom of God. And we're living into our purpose. After my redemption... I received a brand new purpose. I joined a prison ministry team when I graduated from high school. Just months earlier, I was going to parties thinking, what girl can I meet? And and now I'm going and I'm ministering to prisoners in the Attica State Penitentiary in Elmira and these huge prisons. And and I became a youth leader in a youth group. And and I would change my major from math major to ministry and Bible major. And and I'd I'd pursue ministry. I joined a, a singing group. That traveled around the country, which landed me eventually in Lynn and, Lynn and I in Kansas because we were ministering for two years on the road because my passions were totally changed. They were rocked because Jesus rose again and he lives and he transformed me. And he does that with us as well. And then finally, hope of eternal life. This weekend, I attended two funerals of two wonderful Christ followers and heard about their stories. And because Jesus rose, loved ones and family members were able to celebrate as ones with hope, hope in the resurrection. And we too can look forward to being in the presence of Jesus and being reunited with our loved ones who preceded before us who are believers. Because Jesus rose again, we're going to follow suit. We're going to rise into God's presence. John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Well, these are only eight ways that the world has been impacted because believers in Christ believe that Jesus rose again and lives. And we live it out in obedience. But many critics still chalk all these ways of impact up to coincidences. You know, people are good, you know. There's going to be good things. 
Don't blame it on God or Jesus. Even while these critics criticize, they're benefiting from the contributions that Christians have made in the name of Christ. They say, hey, if this Jesus is Savior really did rise and reigns today, then why is there so much corruption in the world? Then tell me that. And why is there so much disruption in our lives? I look all around us, and there's disruption. Well, Pastor Evie Hill was approached by a woman with a question like this. She said, Pastor Hill, you Christians are ministering, but it ain't working. Look at all the sin and the corruption and the brokenness. And Hill responded to her, you know, when you walk down a city street, you smell a lot of body odor. It must be because the soap companies aren't working. She said, that's ridiculous. It's not, that's not, you can't blame the soap and soap companies. There's nothing wrong with a soap. But you got to first use the soap before it's going to make a difference. Evie Hill responded, well, there you go. And there's nothing wrong with Jesus, but you've got to first receive him before you'll see the difference. What difference has Jesus' resurrection made in your life? Yet to all who receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son, and then might I add, for believers, ignores the Son, will not experience that that life that He intends. And so this word believe, um, yet to all who receive Him, those who believe, the word believe is more than a mental belief, you know, because the devil believes in God, obviously, and he's not a child of God. But the, the word believe in biblically speaks to cling to and depend upon, like, like a drowning person would depend upon, uh, you know, a, a buoy or something that's thrown out to them. They grab onto it like this, and they're, they're pulled into safety and, and to life when they're drowning. Well, we're all drowning in sin, and the life raft and the life buoy is Jesus. We need to depend upon him. We need to trust in him if we're going to experience healing, if we're going to experience new life, if we're going to experience our purpose in life. And we need to do this each and every day. Maybe some who are listening online or some who are here this morning, you've never done this. You believe in him like a good American does, but you really don't know him as your Lord and Savior. And what a better day than on Easter morning. 2023, to say, I want to depend on you, Lord, because I I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again and you live and will live forever. And I want to live into that in relationship with you. So let's pray. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ who are here this morning. I thank you, Lord, that um, they made it a priority to be here and to listen online, Lord, and, and for all those in the first service as well. Uh, because it's Easter, and, and we want to celebrate your resurrection, but not just as a, as a thought or as a belief. We want to celebrate you, Lord, and your presence, the one who heals, the one who redeems, the one who forgives, the, the one who restores. And so I pray, God, that this morning we'll experience the power of, G- of Jesus in our lives, in and through us, as we live into your purpose and in relationship with you. For those who might not know this or who need to depend upon you, I just want you to silently breathe a prayer to God. He hears your thoughts. 
Say, Jesus, I need you. Help me. Come into my life. Renew me. Restore me. Amen.